We're super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. They are suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self, an expression of your personality. They're more than meets the eye, but also therefore the athletes. Do you run? Do you golf? Do you train? You want to look like your favorite athlete? Guys like Lamar Jackson, Debo Samuel, Aaron Jones, the backbone of my dynasty team, Justin Jefferson. Well, then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakley's today and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today personally i love the holbrook sunglasses just a very classic look and comfortable fit for wearing around town every single day and Oakley even offers prism lens technology. What the hell is that, you ask? It's a proprietary technology to Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? I know you do. So head over to oakley.com and do your own research. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday sunglasses that'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane over on Instagram at Trevor Lane NBA, as well as on threads which is now a thing at Trevor Lane NBA. You can find me there as well. And of course, find the Lakers nation account at Lakers nation official on threads. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that on on today's show. This whole threads thing suddenly taking off so fast. It's literally been in existence for like a few hours as I'm recording this. And it is absolutely just taking off. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that and what it might mean for this industry, but I'm going to put that At the end of the show, we're going to get into all the basketball stuff, of course, first, so we don't bury the lead here, because obviously we've got to talk about Summer League. We've got to talk about the Summer Lakers, what we've seen from them, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in between. We're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk a little bit about what to expect coming up in Las Vegas. The Lakers now leave the California Classic in Northern California and are going to head to Las Vegas. They're going to be playing Friday night in Las Vegas. I am heading out to Las Vegas on Thursday. So the day most of you are listening to this or watching this, I'm going to be traveling to Las Vegas to be out there to cover the team and and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll be doing a lot of work out of Blue Wire Studios at the Win as well. So we've got that to look forward to. You'll be seeing some videos and stuff coming out of there. But we also need to talk about the Lakers center position. And I think that's where we really need to start this show. So let's begin right there. And let's go with this news that came out. Mobamba. Signed with the 76ers. Now what? So that is now three players, former Lakers, who have signed for veteran minimum deals. And let me kind of clue you in a little bit. Typically when you see Adrian Wojnarowski, Shams Tarania, any of the newsbreakers, when they put out there on Twitter, or perhaps now on threads, uh, that player X signs a one-year deal with this team via this agent, right? This agent of of whatever sports agency uh, lets us know. That almost always, when you hear one-year deal and they don't say the dollar amount, that almost always means it's a veteran minimum. That's just kind of the way that you present that if it's a veteran minimum contract. If it wasn't a veteran minimum contract, it would be Mo Bamba signs signs a two-year deal for $15 million with the 76ers. Something like that is how it would be worded because that's where the agent would want to make sure the dollar amount gets out there. 
when it's a minimum, it's not something that you want to highlight so much. That's why most often when you see the tweets come out about that, and typically it's this information is coming via an agent. So rather than mention that it's a veteran minimum contract, because what the agents want out there is the higher number, right? The the big number. So it sounds like, hey, this this guy's agent got him a great deal. If it's a veteran minimum contract, typically you don't see the dollar amount put in there. So you that's kind of how you know that it's a veteran minimum is when they don't put the money in there. So a veteran minimum here for Mo Bamba, one year deal with the 76ers, but that's now three players. Mo Bamba, you've got Lonnie Walker, Malik Beasley. Three players who I think Lakers fans to varying degrees would have liked to have seen back, particularly on veteran minimum deals that have now wound up with other teams. And what particularly hurts with the Mo Bamba signing uh, going to the 76ers is that that's at a position of need. Look, we know the Lakers, they've got 13 players on their roster right now. They're probably going to stop at 14. That's historically what they've done. They've put 14 players on the roster. They've left the 15th roster spot open. By the way, there was a change in the CBA. I talked about this on the show the other day, that you need to have 15 roster spots filled in order to have all three two-way contracts. In order to have three two-way contracts, you had to have 15 spots filled. Um, that changed. That was an initial idea going into the CBA. And then once the final version came out, it shifted. And I wasn't aware of that, of that shift. And so now there's this 90-day rule or 90 game rule where you can't have, essentially you can't use your two-way players for anything more than 90 games combined or have them active for 90 games combined. If you have all three of them active, which means you have spots 15, 14, 13 are all injured, well, then you've got three games counted against you towards that 90 game total. So anyway, it's confusing the way they actually put it together. But the whole you have to have 15 on your roster in order to have three two-way spots, that went by the wayside. But nonetheless, the Lakers still knew, do need a center. And here Mo Bamba goes and signs with the 76ers. And again, on a better minimum, this is a guy that a lot of Lakers fans wanted to see come back. Uh, based on polls that I put out there, there were a lot of Lakers fans who favored Mo Bamba over the other options that could potentially be out there on the market. So what is going on here? Because... When we look at this situation, like not all not all contracts are alike, right? I've talked about this, talked about this on a show recently, that just because a player signs with one team for a certain dollar amount doesn't mean they'd be willing to play for that same dollar amount for another team. And sometimes that's the way we look at things, and that's usually a mistake. And so I don't want to fall victim to that here and just assume, well, if the 76ers got Mobamba for a veteran minimum, couldn't the Lakers have gotten him for a veteran minimum? And when I look at this situation, I think would Mo Bamba rather be backing up Anthony Davis or would he rather be backing up Joel Embiid? Now, keep in mind, Paul Reed, who's also a center, is still with the 76ers. He's, he's a restricted free agent. Maybe this changes the 76ers' plans with him. We'll have to kind of see how that plays out. But on the surface, assuming Paul Reed is still in the mix, it would seem like it's more of a crowded situation in Philadelphia than it is in LA. But this Lakers coaching staff also didn't seem all that eager to put Mo Bamba onto the floor. So maybe he is just looking for an opportunity elsewhere. But where does this leave the Lakers? Bottom line, what does this mean for the Lakers? Well, the free agent center market going in to the summer, going in before any of this even started, it was thin. Then Nas Reed came off the board. 
the Minnesota Timberwolves paid him a little bit more than the mid-level in order to get him to not be part of free agency, to not take a look around. Um, you had Brooke Lopez went for considerably more than the Lakers could have paid him. Mason Plumley came off the board, again, going for more than the Lakers could have paid him at that point. He went for $5 million. And so once these prime center targets started dropping off the boards, Nikola Vucevic, of course, re-upping with the Chicago Bulls, it just became more and more thin. And now we're at a point where you're looking around and you're thinking, uh-oh, what are the Lakers going to do? Because right now they've got Anthony Davis and they have Jackson Hayes. And Jackson Hayes, I don't think you can feel warm and fuzzy about Jackson Hayes being your backup center. And I, I'm intrigued by the talent of Jackson Hayes. He is a ferocious dunker. He has really, really interesting athleticism, his quickness. I hope that Phil Handy, that the Lakers coaching staff, can unlock something out of him that the New Orleans Pelicans couldn't. But there's a reason why he's available on the market for a veteran minimum when this was a guy who was, at one point, a lottery pick. There's a reason why he's available to the Lakers, and that's because he's still very much a question mark. And so far, it's been more missed than hit with him. So the Lakers, I don't think, can feel comfortable in Jackson Hayes being their backup center. That's why I think they need to bring in another big. And that's been all the reports is that the Lakers ultimately would bring in someone else. And looking around at the landscape right now, who's still there? I mean, what we've been hearing is that the Lakers were going to let the, they were going to let the dust settle. See if anybody falls through the cracks. Sometimes when that happens, you wind up getting a player for a veteran minimum that you wouldn't expect to get for a veteran minimum deal. But it's starting to get Pretty dicey. The pickings are getting slim. Essentially, the way I look at this, unless there have already been rumors linking Dario Sarge to the Warriors. I don't know if that's going to get done or not. Maybe he's somebody to consider. But otherwise, I think there's two players. There's two players at the center position that are left that I think are head and shoulders above everybody else. And those two players are Christian Wood and Bismack Biombo. And for different reasons. I think Christian Wood... Obviously, for the offensive production that he can bring you, he's not a true center. That's the other problem I've got. If Christian Wood is on the floor with Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis is the center. I think that was one of the goals going into the offseason, at least from the Lakers fan perspective, was to find a player that would push Anthony Davis to the four or at least give you the option to do that. Christian Wood doesn't do that. He doesn't check that box. However, I think Christian Wood's offensive skill set fits great with Anthony Davis. He can shoot the three. He can create shots for himself. He's got a, a nice stroke from outside. He can do things that can help you out. He can be, when Anthony Davis is off the floor, he can be a scoring punch for you. Um, almost, not quite. This isn't a great comparison, but we think about the microwave scores, the sixth man of the year, you know, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, that type of player, Jordan Clarkson now, that type of guy. I think that Christian Wood can kind of be the big man version of that, where he can come in, and just give you buckets. And again, it's not a perfect comparison because there's other things he can do. He can help you out a little bit on the boards and occasionally he'll block a shot. He's got really long arms. And so he can help you out there. But I do think that Christian Wood has an intriguing offensive skill set that could definitely help the Lakers. And frankly, if they could get him for a veteran minimum, that would be a steal. It would be a steal given his skill set. Now, he's had some question marks in terms of um, how well he, he fits into a locker room, uh, 
defensively, you've got some concerns there. There have been some attitude issues and some other stops. But is this a guy whose talent level is worth taking a risk on? Talent-wise, he's certainly worth more than a veteran minimum. And the farther free agency goes, the deeper into free agency we go, the more likely it becomes that Christian Wood, a player of his caliber, suddenly becomes available for a veteran minimum because the money starts to dry up, right? The money starts to dry up, the music stops, he's left standing and there's no chairs left. So at that point, that's where you get a player on a contract that's cheaper than what you would normally get them at based on their skill set. Obviously, it didn't work out in Dallas for Christian Wood, but again, this is still an extremely talented player. And frankly, I think based on just pure upside, the best case scenario for the Lakers would probably be Christian Wood winding up in LA. He's 6'10". He's got like a 7'3", 7'4", wingspan. Averaged for the Mavs last season, 16.6 points, 7.3 boards, 1.1 blocks. Shot 38% from three. This Lakers team, we know they can use three-point shooters. Played 26 minutes a night. You know, for a little while there, he was a starter for them, and then he got moved into the, into this bench role. If he is willing, if he's looking around going, man, I put up those numbers, and the only thing teams are willing to give me is the veteran minimum, I'd really better come out and have a killer season where I make no waves, where nobody has anybody any complaints about me or anything like that. That's what I need in me right now for my career. If that's his mindset, the Lakers could get an absolute steal with Christian Wood on the veteran minimum. And again, I'm not saying it's likely. He doesn't want to take that. He wants to get paid more than that. But the potential is there. The farther we go into free agency and Christian Wood still hasn't signed a deal, the more the potential grows that he could be available for that. But Bismack Biombo is a guy who I think makes a lot of sense. Um, the talent level is not as high. The ceiling is not as high as it is with Christian Wood. But I think that Bismack Biombo is a cleaner fit for the Lakers. He's more of a known commodity. And I talked about him a little bit on yesterday's show, so I won't rehash it too much. But the rim protection that he can give you, the rebounding that he can give you, the defensive acumen that he's got, that matters. And really, when I'm looking for, I need a guy who's going to back up Anthony Davis, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to count on Jackson Hayes night in, night out. Those are the things I want the most in that player. What are, the, the top of my list, I want somebody who can help me on the boards and somebody who can protect the paint, right? If they can score, they can do other, they can shoot the three, all that, right? That's that's the icing on the cake. That's the stuff that, hey, it'd be great if you can have it, but what you really want, it's the rim protection, it's the rebounding. I think Bismack Biombo gives you that to a greater degree, certainly, than Christian Wood does. Again, Christian Wood, I think, is the better player. You get a higher ceiling out of him in terms of production, but... If Christian Wood is going to go for more money than the veteran minimum, I'd have very little issue with the Lakers pivoting to Bismack Biombo. The problem they run into, though, is what happens if neither one of them come to the Lakers? Then what do you do? Then is it Colin Castleton throwing him into the mix? And we're going to talk a bit more about him when we talk about the, the summer league breakdown here. What do you do from there? Because things are already really thin and there's not a lot out there. So... My hope is this, that the reason why Biombo went somewhere else, went to the 76ers, I'm sorry, Bamba, I said Biombo. The reason why Bamba went to, some, went to the 76ers is because the Lakers already have something lined up. 
that the Lakers said, no, we're not going to offer you a contract, Mobamba, because they already have something in mind. Now, we should note that Bull Bull is also out there on the market. The Lakers, in theory, and I shouldn't say on the market because he's not cleared waivers yet. I don't think he will. I don't think he's going to clear waivers. The Lakers can submit a waiver claim for Bull Bull. They do have a trade exception from the Patrick Beverly trade. Ironically, the trade that netted them Mo Bamba. Um, they have that left over. They could use that to submit a claim for Bull Bull, who was waived by the Orlando Magic. Now, he's more of a wing than a center, but super long arms, intriguing skill set. He's a bigger player. Not going to help take Anthony Davis off the block. He's not going to go bang against Jonas Valanciunas and Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic and all these, these big, strong guys. No, he, he will get broken in half. It's not going to happen. But he's an interesting player, nonetheless. And maybe the Lakers just say, you know what? The bigs out there aren't that great. Let's take a gamble on some upside here. So that's also a possibility that the Lakers could submit a waiver claim for Bull Bull. And we will see if it gets far enough into the waiver order to get to them. He's only making $2.2 million. So the risk factor there is very, very limited. But the hope has got to be, if you're the Lakers, uh, if you're a Lakers fan, that they already have something lined up. That the reason why they let Mo Bamba go is because something else is in the works and we just haven't heard about it yet. Because if not, if they don't claim Bull Bull and Christian Wood and Bismack Biamba wind up going elsewhere, it's a really tough, tough market for the Lakers to find a decent backup big out there. They could find themselves in a very difficult position there. So this is certainly something that we're going to continue to keep an eye on. All right, let's talk a little bit about Summer League. So the Lakers so far at the California Classic, they're 0-2 in Summer League. And I like it hasn't all been pretty. It never is. Summer League is not. If you're going to Summer League, if you're watching Summer League games and you are expecting to see beautiful basketball, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what Summer League is. Keep in mind, most of your roster is made up of guys who are scrapping and clawing and fighting and doing everything they can to solidify a career in professional basketball. Not to earn a spot on the Lakers. Like, it'll be great if it happens. But most of these guys, they're just trying to catch somebody's attention, which means they're not all going to follow the schemes every single play, nor can they. These guys are thrown together. They have a few practices, and they're put out there on the floor. So it's not easy to follow all the schemes and things that you're supposed to. There's a lot of mistakes that are made. There's a lot of turnovers. It's sloppy. It's ugly. Some of the guys that are playing are not NBA caliber players. And everybody is going 100 miles an hour, desperately trying to prove that they belong. That's a difficult environment to play in. But now that Summer League, the California Classic version of it is over, I almost look at the California Classic as like preseason for Summer League. It's not really, but that's kind of the way I view it because now we're shifting to Las Vegas. And this is... When people say Summer League, this is what they're normally talking about. Is Summer League in Las Vegas, the Lakers, they're going to play on the 7th. Uh, it's coming up on Friday, and it's going to be absolutely madness. If you are going to that game, again, get there early. It is sold out because Victor Wembanyama is playing right before the Lakers. So if you don't care about seeing Victor Wembanyama play for the Spurs, and you just want to see the Lakers play, you still better get there early. Or as everybody's clearing out, Try to rush in or something like that and grab some seats because 
Uh, it, the place is going to be absolutely packed. This is very rare for it to sell out for Summer League, but Victor Wembanyama is going to be playing. Everybody's coming out to watch it. Uh, if you see us there, by the way, I'll, I'll be there. Lakers Nation will be there. Say hi. We're uh, we're not shy people. Say hi. Um, hopefully, we get to see a lot of you out there as well. But this year's Summer League team, when I look at what they've done so far, I think there's been some good and some bad. I think that there's some rebounding concerns that we're, that we're seeing, and that and that's something that we're going to discuss as we get into each and every individual player. And people get frustrated with that. And people look at the final score, and we base our response, we base how we feel about these players, we tie it to what the end result was. But there's a problem with that. And the problem is that this isn't the end result that we care about. Right? It's it's not. This is not the end result that we care about. This would be like in a soccer game, taking an arbitrary line and putting it somewhere between the 18 and midfield and seeing if the opposing goalkeeper can kick it from a, a goal kick from the six all the way across that line without it bouncing. Like it's a little side game. It's something to pay attention to. And yeah, if the guy's able to hit it, then it tells you he can kick a ball really, really far. But is that really what matters? No, what really matters is who wins or loses the big game, right? For the Lakers, what happens here in Summer League, whether they win or whether they lose, is not really the main concern. The final score of these games is not what matters. What matters is the final score in the regular season. What matters is the final score in the playoffs. And what you're trying to do is identify players that can help you win in both of those situations. In the long run, there's nobody out there that's going to put you over the top right now. What you're looking for is not necessarily the final score. Now, it's always fun to win. There's no question. It's always fun to win. And you want to see guys that are competing hard. You want to see guys are winning. But the reality is most of these guys are not going to be Lakers. Most of these guys are not going to make it to the Lakers. Some will, and sometimes there's some success stories, guys who battle their way up. Think about Alex Caruso, who we saw in Summer League years ago. That was our first sign that he was going to become something, right? When he battled De'Aaron Fox back in Summer League, way, way back in the day. And next thing you know, he becomes the Lakers' first two-way player, and, and, and history is made from there. But, but that's rare. Most of these guys aren't going to make it. And so we have to look at this when we're watching Summer League through the context of success or failure is not determined by the final score. Just like success or failure is not determined by how far the goalie kicks the ball on a goal kick. Success or failure in a soccer game is determined by the final score at the end of the total game, the big game. Success or failure for the Lakers is going to be determined by whether or not they can find guys that can help them in the regular season and in the playoffs, period. So when we're looking at the summer league team and we see, oh my gosh, they're 0-2. Or, oh my gosh, they need to work on their rebounding. How do we get this team better at rebounding? That's not really the goal. Yes, it's better to get the individuals to improve in rebounding. But the goal isn't really to look and say, what do we need to do to have the best summer league team ever? The Lakers had an insane summer league team years ago. Remember with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma when Lonzo threw the lob to B.I. on the very first play in Las Vegas, the first possession, and everybody went nuts. 
And remember Brandon Ingram's getting dinged up in that game and Magic stands up in the front row and says, shut him down and, and all that. That summer league team that wound up winning a summer league championship, that was insane. And then the season came along and they were terrible. Summer league success doesn't turn into regular season success very often. So, and not to say those players were terrible, but just because you win summer league is the fun as it might be, doesn't mean you're on a path to success in the regular season. Just like losing summer league games doesn't mean you're on a path towards losing the regular season. Again, the goal is to find players, individuals that can help you. So I think it's important that we look at summer league through that context, understanding that it's not the final score. It's not, did you win? It's not, did you lose? It's what did you learn about each one of these players? So that's what our mindset needs to be watching these games in Las, in Las Vegas for summer league. Um, I do want to break down some of the things that we've seen from each of these players. So let me get into that. But first, I need to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, and that is Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg and give you a truly sculpted look. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff, restricting cotton. They use a cloud knit fabric that they invented that looks just like khaki, but it stretches. So you get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement, which I've got several pair of bird dog shorts. It's really incredible how um, mobile they are, how versatile they are when you're trying to move around in them. And they also use a sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long. I've mentioned this on here before. You put them on, it's like wearing the other side of, a, of the pillow. It just, it's that kind of a cool, like it's noticeably cooler than a normal pair of shorts. So go to birddogs.com slash pool and enter promo code pool for a free Yeti style tumbler with your order. That's birddogs.com slash pool for a free Yeti style tumbler. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the individual players that we've seen at summer league. What do we like? What do we not like? Things like that. We're two games in. So let me preface all this by saying that we're two games in and summer league success doesn't always translate to uh, regular season success or NBA success, summer league failure doesn't always mean you're going to be a failure in, in, in the NBA, especially two games of summer league. This is way too small of a sample size to draw any kind of real meaningful conclusion. This is just kind of a check-in. Here's where we're at on these guys, and let's see where we'll go from here. This is not a concrete, this guy's good, this guy's bad, and they will forever be that way. No, that is that would be foolish to do at this point. So, Let's start, though, with the guy that I think fans are most excited about, and that's Max Christie. Max Christie looks like everything that we talked about going into Summer League that we wanted to see out of Max Christie, he's checked every box. How's the, the, He always had a smooth jumper. Is he now converting a high percentage of them? That was, his jumper looked great last year in Summer League. I remember the jumper looked great, looked phenomenal. But he didn't make that many shots. Um, now he's hitting shots, right? The jumper's smooth, still looks great. He's knocking them down. He looks like he gets to his spots with ease. The game looks like it's slowed down for him. Defensively, he's doing the right things out there. Um, he is clearly the guy that they go to when they need a bucket, right? He's the guy on this team. And ultimately, I think what it all gets wrapped up under is this single idea and that's the Max Christie. You're going to see a number of players that kind of fit this description. Max Christie is too good for Summer League. 
That's what we're seeing. Like, he doesn't look like he belongs out there because he's that much better than everybody else. He's more polished. He doesn't look like a guy who's trying to figure things out. And that's to be expected. This is his second year. He's done this before. Some of the other guys on the team, Jalen hood Shafino, Max Lewis, Colin Castleton, these guys haven't done it before. They haven't done it. So on one hand, you should expect Max Christie to look more polished than these guys. But even so, he looks noticeably good. Noticeably good. And, and again, I always caution because just because a guy plays well in summer league doesn't mean he's going to be great in the NBA. I always go back to Nikolaj Skidishvili, who was summer league MVP. Who is Skidishvili? Exactly. Didn't go on to do a whole heck of a lot in the NBA. It doesn't necessarily mean, I've got people already saying, Max Christie, this is clearly a rotation player. He's going to be in the mix every single game. I'm not going to go there just yet because it's summer league. That said, he clearly looks better than everybody else that we're seeing um, on the Lakers. And it's easy to envision how this skill set that he's got right now can translate. Again, when the Lakers drafted him, they believed that he was very young when they moved up into the second round in order to get him. They bought a pick in order to get Max Christie with the belief that had he come out the next year, had he been in this year's draft, which he's still very young, had he been in this year's draft, he would potentially be a lottery player, uh, lottery-level talent. And that's certainly what he looks like. He looks like out there, he should. he's performing like a lottery pick would, like a pretty high lottery pick would. And again, he's been in the league for a year. He's been in league training systems. He's been understanding their schemes, their philosophies, working with the top top players in the league. He's been doing all that. So we expect him to grow. But even so, what he's doing, what he's done has been very, very impressive. And you've got to be excited about that. Again, he simply looks too good to be out there right now uh, in summer league. He's on a different level. Uh, Jalen Huchifino, you know, the, the obvious negative the shooting, the three-point shot is not there right now. And again, uh, I'll caution, it's a small sample size, but against the Spurs, he went 0 for 7 from deep. You know, he got good looks and just could not knock them down. Some of that could be jitters. Some of that could be his own frustration. But that was the question mark coming in. Was, can this guy hit the three or not? And right now it's looking like no. But again, tiny, tiny sample size. We are two games in to Summer League. Do not write off his three-point shooting ability because of these two games. On the other hand, one of my questions going in about him was, what does he look like with more floor spacing, right? In Indiana, everything was super compact. And so that mid-range jumper that he's so known for, well, he had to take a lot of those because the ability to get to the rim wasn't there because everything was collapsed into, paint, into the paint all the time. So what would he look like with more spacing? With when it's Max Christie, when it's Cole Swider, when it's guys who will burn you for leaving them behind the three point line. And so that spreads out the defense. What does Jalen Huchifino do? And to his credit, I think the best part about his game so far has been his ability to get to the rim and finish through contact. He's very big, he's very strong. He's 6'6 in shoes, clearly a physically strong player. And his ability to take contact and finish has been really impressive. That was one of the question marks about his game is how good is he finishing at the rim? There were concerns that he wasn't very good. And I think that he's been better there than we would have expected. So there's been some good, some bad. Hopefully the shot does start falling at some point. We know he can't just forever be a bad three-point shooter. But 
the first two games of summer league willing to kind of let that slide, forgive that it's a small sample size. Maybe there's some nerves mixed in there as well, but it certainly would go a long way to see those, those shots start to fall because we know at some point in his career, he's going to have to be not, not an average, but a, a pretty decent three-point shooter, a good three-point shooter is really what he needs to be if he's going to get to where the Lakers want him to go. All right, let's talk a little bit about Max Lewis. And Max Lewis, I still, I, he's just kind of a question mark. You know, he gets out there on the floor and he has some, he has some opportunities to do things out there, but I just feel like we need to see more. It's an intriguing skill set. He looks a little bit shaky out there where I wonder if the nerves are getting to him as well. He had some bad turnovers against the Spurs, but super long, does a pretty good job getting to the rim off the off the closeout, just attacking closeouts, and he's got the ability to shoot from outside. So he's a guy that I want to see more of. That's the, the biggest thing is I just don't feel like we've seen enough of him so far, but intriguing skill set nonetheless. Colin Castleton. Call him Colin Castle Fun because against the San Antonio Spurs, man, what a performance. 18 points, eight boards, six assists, four blocks. And the Lakers, you could see, anytime they pulled him off the floor, they just got lit up from the, inside the paint. And let's face it, they were getting crushed even when he was on the floor. They got, I mean, I think it was over 20 offensive rebounds from the San Antonio Spurs. The late, And we're going to talk about why in just a minute. But when Castleton was off the floor, they had no shot. They had no shot. And you almost felt bad for, for Castleton because he was the only one out there that could really grab a rebound for the Lakers. And that's not necessarily his forte. You know, I'm watching the, them play against the Spurs and I'm thinking in my head, I even wrote it in my notes, what does Colin Castleton look like playing next to a more physical four? Right? To it, like, and the guy that I thought of was a, a physical four that could still shoot. Like, what if you put him, what does he look like playing next to like prime Markeith Morris? What does that look like? Or, I mean, another great example, LeBron, right? What does he look like playing next to, say, a LeBron at the four? Something like that. A big who can still space the floor, but is like physical, right? And, and is able to really help on the glass and do those sorts of things because he looked a little overmatched. There were some times where he's trying to get a rebound over two, three San Antonio Spurs players. And as tall as, as Colin Castleton is, as long as his arms are, he was just struggling to do that. He was getting pushed around a little bit as well. And the thought did occur to me, what if there's another physical presence in there with him? I'm really curious to, to see what that might look like, but he had an incredible bullet pass into the paint. He's got great vision for a big. He's got the ability to grab and go. He can rebound the ball and then immediately dribble it up the floor himself. He doesn't have to find a guard. He can lead the fast break. Again, a really good passer. He's shown soft touch at the rim, hit his free throws in this game. He did a lot. And again, blocked four shots. His rim protection was really impressive as well. So I'm not going to say that, that Colin Castleton, again, not wanting to get ahead of ourselves because of preseason or because of summer league, but Colin Castleton is at least somebody that you have to consider now. He's on a two-way contract with the Lakers. Let's see what he does the rest of the way. But what this game cemented is that he is someone that the Lakers need to pay attention to, particularly because of their center woes right now. You've got Jackson Hayes, and that's it. We'll see what happens with Biamba. We'll see what happens with Christian Wood. But Colin Castleton needs to be on the radar. There's the possibility 
that it may be worth it to, if you are going to carry 15, to give him a 15th roster spot and bring him up and let him be working every day with the Lakers, even if that means he's not playing a lot. And I know they're probably going to use him in the G League quite a bit, but to more often than not get him against the NBA size guys, the NBA skill guys, because if you can fast track his development, you may have something here in Colin Castleton. You may have found another undrafted player right after you found Austin Reeves a couple of off seasons ago. Colin Castleton, again, I'm not going to project that that's the trajectory that he's going down or anything like that. That's getting too far ahead of ourselves. But what we've seen enough to where he's somebody that you definitely need to keep an eye on if you are the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, now, Cole Swider. I have such a hard time with him. I have such a hard time with, with Cole Swider because he has an elite NBA skill. He, I mean, his shooting is phenomenal. He's great. Shot 43% from three in the G League. You can see it in Summer League. I mean, he, he got us all excited last year in Summer League with his three-point shooting. The dude can just shoot the ball. There's no question. This guy is an NBA caliber shooter and not just not just a NBA average shooter. He is a good NBA shooter. This guy is fantastic shooting the basketball. The question is, can he do anything else? And this is where when I look at, and that sounds harsh. Yes, he can do other things. He had a great pass to Colin Castleton in the game against the Spurs. He can help you out a little bit on the boards. But I think the issue is he's 6'9", but he doesn't play as big as a, a 6'9 player would. Like It's a noticeable deficit when he's in the game and you're trying to rebound the ball. And that's where it's kind of Colin Castleton is all by himself. right? He doesn't have a lot of help because Cole Swider, he just isn't that big, strong, physical presence in there that's going to help you grab rebounds. But the problem is, the flip side is, he's not quick enough to play the three, to defend out on the perimeter. So you're either giving up a size advantage in the paint because even though he's 6'9", he doesn't play like he's 6'9". He doesn't rebound like he's 6'9". He's, he plays more like he's like a 6'5", 6'6", player. So you don't really get the rebounding benefit from a, a power forward size player out there. Um, and, but if you go the other way and you put him at the three, which is probably closer to what he actually is in terms of his ability to be a presence in the paint, he's probably more of a three. The problem, though, is his feet aren't quick enough to stick with those guys on the perimeter. So is he stuck in that kind of tweener limbo where he's not quick enough to be a three and he's not physical enough, not strong enough, not uh, a, a big enough presence, either protecting the rim or rebounding to really be a four? And then what do you do? What do you do with him? Again, he is a great... You know how many guys would kill to be able to shoot the ball the way Cole Swider can? My goodness, the guy's phenomenal. And so this is why you don't give up on him. There's no there's no question. You know, and fans I saw were, were very frustrated with him after that game against the Spurs. He put up 18 points and people were frustrated because of those other issues, because he's kind of stuck there. But when I see Cole Swider play, I just think if there's any way, any way that you can get him defensively to be just passable, just passable, and it may be tough, because he's kind of stuck in between those two positions. But if you can find a way to make that work, you've got such an incredible shooting talent there that it could be worth your while. So 
I will say the Spurs were a very big, very physical presence. Uh, and so that maybe magnified the concerns with Swider. But again, watching Swider side by side with Castleton on the offensive end, I was like, yeah, okay, there's the floor spacing that I like to see. And that helped Jalen Huchifino get into the paint because Swider's the forward. He's out behind the three-point line. And you know you can't leave him. But defensively, when the Lakers are trying to clean up the boards and the Spurs are getting one after another, after another, after another, and that's not just on Cole Swider, that's on other guys as well. But you couldn't help but think, man, what would a big, strong, physical presence in there with Castleton do right now? How would that change this game? So definitely a guy to continue to keep an eye on. Don't write him off. He's a phenomenal shooter, and he just may have just a red-hot game in, in Summer League. Two, might have three. Because you know, most of the time when he puts up that three, it's going in. Um, so there's still a lot to like about Cole Swider, but I don't think any of the questions about his game have been answered just yet in Summer League. Okay, I said I was going to finish up the show talking about threads, and that's what I'm going to do. So, new social media platform comes out, and it is Threads by Instagram. And again, I'm dropping my uh, the link to my Threads account, the Lakers Nation Threads account, in the description down below. I'll put it over in the podcast description as well for podcast listeners um, if you want to come follow us on there. But Threads is essentially Instagram doing Twitter. Like, that's really what it looks like. It's very, very Twitter-like in terms of the way that it's set up. And I like the interface. Um, it's it's There's a familiarity to it, which makes sense because I'm somebody who, who uses Twitter a lot. And I think there's a need for this because we've seen some funky things happen with Twitter, especially lately, the rate limit and all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a piece that's missing here. And maybe this is something that ultimately will get fixed. But one of the things, and, and I know that the entire world doesn't revolve around either news media or sports media. It doesn't. Obviously, I'm kind of looking at things through a very, very specific lens when I look at sports media. But the reason why Twitter is so great is because you can get breaking news so quickly, right? A Woj bomb and it's instantly out, right? Woj sends a quick tweet and it's instantly out. Same thing with Shams Tarania. If I get something I want to put out there, anybody, right? Any, anybody that's getting any, any bit of news, you can put it out there very, very quickly. And it's always right at the top. Now, I know Twitter's messed around with their algorithm and all that, but you can set it so that you're getting the most recent post is at the top all the time, right? That's not the case with threads. That's not the case. Not right now. Right now, it shows you what they think you want to see and not in chronological order. And that's what drives me insane about Instagram. Um, in fact, it, to me, for what I do in this business, it takes away a lot of the usefulness of Instagram because what can happen is I can go on there and I see a post from two days ago that's at the top. What good does that do me? It's a post saying, oh, this player was traded for this player, right? It's still my, because I'm curate, curating what's in my feed. So I'm looking at sports stuff, It's but it'll be this player's traded for this player. But it happened two days ago, and I can't help but thank God. Thank God I had Twitter to tell me, because Instagram certainly wasn't going to. I didn't get to see that post until two days after it was posted. 
And so a lot of the usefulness in terms of the, the breaking news goes away when you don't see what's most recent at the top. And right now, Threads has no way to do that. And again, we've been asking for ages to have the ability to turn Instagram into one into a platform that allows you to look at things chronologically. Um, and it hasn't happened. Hopefully, Threads doesn't go down that same path because we know news is so big on Twitter. And if you're going to be a Twitter clone, which I do think there is some uh, need for, right? You need to be able to understand why Twitter was successful and is successful and understand the essence of it. And if you're not going to show us the newest thing first, then you've lost a big piece of it because what's going to happen is we're going to miss things. We're going to miss things. If I put something out there, right? And it's breaking. Oh my gosh, this just happened. I can't believe it. The Lakers made this move but your timeline isn't showing things in chronological order and you don't see that till the next day, you don't see it till a few days later, that's not very useful. It's not very useful. And so that's something, and that's, look, that's an easy tweak. That's an easy tweak, but that's something that I think they've got to fix. Um, and again, I'm very intrigued by this platform. I think it's very interesting. I think it's something that um, there's a need for. But they've got to be able to fix Things like that, things of that nature have got to be fixed. And on top of that, I know they're trying to get everybody out there a little bit more. It's a brand new platform and everything, but you have to be able to curate what you're seeing so that you're seeing specifically what you want. Um, for example, when I go into Twitter, everything that I see on there is either basketball or sports related, right? Because I can curate my list. I, I follow the people I want to follow and everybody can have their own individual Twitter experience, right? If if you don't care about sports, you're well, obviously you're probably not listening to this podcast, but if you don't care about sports, you only care about music, you're just following music people on Twitter. And that's all that's going to populate your timeline, right? With threads right now, they're showing you stuff. And I over time it will probably learn what it is that you're looking for. And it's going to show you stuff that you want to see and, and all of that. But when I go to my timeline there, I see a lot of stuff that it's not basketball. Maybe it's sports, but it's not basketball. And it's not the information that I want to see. And so again, where speed is key, where getting information out quickly is key, having to sort through all these posts that are stuff that aren't really all that useful kind of reminds me of like what Facebook has essentially become. If you ever scroll through a feed there now, it's a lot of these kind of list posts and, and things like that, all kinds of different stuff that's on there. That's not all like posts from your friends and family anymore. Part of that is probably less people are posting on there, but still you're not getting the same experience as you do on Twitter, where it's kind of pared down to exactly what it is that you want. So I think that there's something here. There's something interesting, obviously having the backbone of Instagram already integrated into this is very interesting and very exciting about the potential of it. But will they make the tweaks that, particularly from this industry, we need to see for it to be useful? Because let's face it, I don't think anybody from the basketball Twitter, from NBA Twitter, is going to fully migrate over to threads right now. You can't. It's too dangerous. You're too, you're too likely to miss stuff because of the way they currently have it set up. So hopefully that's something that gets addressed because the platform really is interesting. 
And if you haven't checked it out, it's worth it. Go give it a look. Go check it out. Again, if you're if you're used to Twitter, it's very similar. And I like the interface. It's very clean. It looks great. And uh, and again, would recommend it. You can check the link down below. You can find uh, my account. You can find the Lakers Nation account as well. And uh, let me know what you think. Again, I know this isn't basketball content, but a lot of you out there do follow us on Twitter. You follow us on social media. You follow along just like we do with all the breaking news. And so I know this is the kind of stuff that if it's impacting me, uh, it's probably impacting you as well. something that you want to know about. But in any event, that's going to do it for today's show. I am going to go finish packing up and getting ready to head out to Las Vegas for Summer League. Hopefully I see a number of you out there. Again, if you haven't been, I can't recommend Summer League enough in Las Vegas. It is so much fun. Um, it's like Comic-Con for the NBA. It's an absolute blast. And if you love basketball, it's great to go do it. It's one of my highlights of the year every single year. And uh, I can't wait to get out there. Super, super excited. I hope I see a lot of you out there. And once again, come say hi. We'll hang out. We'll talk some Lakers, all of that. Um, again, thank you, everybody, for joining. Make sure you do subscribe right here to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Follow us over on all the different social media platforms, including threads, Twitter, Facebook, as well, Instagram, all the different social platforms. And then, uh, of course, over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you follow the show there. Till next time, everybody. See you and stay safe.